Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and to be doing a Quirks Bar while doing it. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. The the drinking helps me lose my inhibitions, which <laughs> which is why I would be embarrassed. I don't expect to be embarrassed in another ten minutes. <laughs> have you already started? Yeah. Started a little bit. Yeah. I had a moment in the uh, in the corner store when I was buying my provisions for today's episode that I may come to regret because I I was I was there thinking about maybe getting some, some apple cider, some hard cider, and I had a can of that in my hand and then I looked up and there was a four pack of uh, micro brew called banana bread beer. And I thought it would be funny to have apples and bananas, <laughs> so, so I got that. God, I I just don't understand you sometimes. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to try this banana bread beer for the first time. I hope it's great. I don't hope it's bad. I'm I'm not making fun of you. Did you get a sixer of this or just get get one? It was a four. Okay. It was sold as a four pack, and I don't have whatever bone that is that other people have in my head where you can take one out of a four-pack and walk up and make eye contact with the person selling it. Yeah, I don't have that either. Instead, I have the bone that buys four or six of a thing. I'll have the first one and not like it, and then it'll stay in my pantry for four years. Wow. If I don't like it, I will accelerate through the remaining five to not let them go to waste. Man, I've been uh, leaving a half a beer behind sometimes. I'm I'm just not consuming a thing I don't like if I don't like it, you know? Well, banana bread beer, surprisingly pretty good. I think you would like this in a uh, beach context. What? Yeah. A banana bread beer is a light and crushable? It is light. It is crushable, Adam. Give me on a scale of one to ten bananas how much of that banana is coming through. I would say that it's about a three on the banana and like a two on the beer flavor. Are you going to have a second one on the show? I, th- I guess that's the real test, right? I don't have a choice. It's the it's the only thing I have left because I drank my one apple cider. You're stuck with it. I'm stuck with you, Adam. And uh, we are cruising into a whole new decade. Who'd have thought that the greatest generation would last would span more than one decade? I certainly didn't. I mean, this weird experiment has turned into a lifestyle. Yeah. Here we are. Do you have any uh, new decade resolutions? Lately, my mind and my focus has been so narrowed to the week that I'm living that it has been very hard <laughs> to think very far into the future. And I know this is a time of year where, where many people do... But I feel like if I look past the week that I'm in, I'm just going to drive myself crazy. I'm in that kind of headspace lately. Right, because you've got the whole move coming up. You've got a lot of uh, I's and T's that need crossing in the extreme short term. And we're kind of 
we're recording this a couple of weeks ahead of its release, but you know, like I'm going on a holiday trip. Like I don't think either of us is particularly hoping to do a, a lot of work during the holiday season. Right. So and we're trying to pre-tape and pre-edit, and that kind of turns this time of year into an end run. And you stack that on top of your impending out-of-state move, and uh, that's a lot. Yeah, I'm working as fast and as hard as I can because I know there's going to be a period of weeks where I can't because all of my shit will be in a box or something. Right. You know? Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> what about you, Ben? You, when you look at uh, 2020... What do you see through those smudged glasses? Uh, keeping my glasses less smudged is one thing that I aspire to on an ongoing basis. So that might be a good thing to to look at for, for 2020 uh-huh. and the 20s in general. Yeah. I lost a bunch of weight in 2019, and I would like 2020 to be about being just in better shape in general and also uh, keeping keeping an eye on that like because i think i it was mostly through studied indifference and inaction that i gained weight that i didn't want yeah that i put it all on so a 2020 where i i maintain i don't uh you know fluctuate radically in pant size would be nice people don't concentrate enough on maintenance in favor of either gaining or losing a certain thing Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. maintenance is healthy. Yeah, and I'm literally like I'm paying attention to this stuff for the first time in my life. So I- I'm lucky to be saying that. But um, sure, yeah, we all. Uh, are. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think anything major. My wife and I are trying uh, for having a house sometime soon that isn't a tiny little rental. So many of those words are usually followed by baby, Ben, that uh, I I sharply inhaled before the end of that sentence. My wife and I are expecting to live in a house. (laughs) I proposed getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Uh (laughs) My wife has pulled the goalie in her fantasy hockey league. (laughs) Yeah, so that's like... 2020 is a year that that is as likely as any so far to happen, but it's really scary to me because she and I have very different approaches to major purchases, and I get really stressed out and just, you know, I I commit hard and fast, and she really likes to consider every option and you know is is willing to to let a an opportunity pass if it if she's not a thousand percent sure yeah and it takes her a long a, a much longer time to get to a thousand percent sure than it does for me so i'm uh i'm you know bracing myself for the the challenges of that as well yeah man i think i know the feeling and these decisions last for years and years so it feels like you need to get them right and that is a that is a kind of pressure yeah. Well, man, uh, I know you've got a lot on your mind, so why don't you crack a beer and uh, we can uh, we can do our favorite thing, which is sitting around yammering about a Star Trek episode we just watched. The pod heals, Ben. Maybe this one <laughs> will do the same. It's Deep Space Nine, Season 5, Episode 20. Ferengi, Love Songs. Do you realize how incredible this is? 
course you don't. With a title like that, I expected more music, didn't you? <laughs> you thought it might be uh, like uh, like that episode of Buffy that's a musical? That would have been great. Turns out Frankie love songs are a lot of crying. There is a ton of crying in this episode. There's so many Ferengi in this episode that it made me really appreciate Armin Shimmerman's performance as Quark. By, I mean, that's not to say any of the guest stars are are bad to any extent, but Armin Shimmerman's been wearing the loaf for years and years. He yeah. has practiced in how to do what he does. One of the things I noticed in this episode is how much of the lower part of his mouth moves compared to his top. Like when he's enunciating, <laughs> articulating words, like it's his yeah. bottom lip moving because his top teeth are so big. Yeah. It looks really yeah. hard. One of the things about the Ferengi teeth is that it it is definitely causing all of these actors to have to kind of consciously do things with their mouths to keep them closed when they're not talking. Yeah. It, they look like they got a mouthful of marbles. And just the fact that they're elocuting through all that crap that's being stuck in their mouths is really impressive. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why Moogie was recast. The actor who played her in the last Moogie episode was like, can't do the loaf. Sorry. Wow, I didn't even realize. So they brought in Cecily Adams to play her this, wow. this time around, who is great, but I wonder, it's, <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to cast guest stars on these shows for so many reasons. I mean, yeah. let alone the discomfort that an actor goes through in just wearing the prosthetic. Yeah. This episode opens with very strong season one, episode one vibes. Uh, they, uh, they show Quark like standing, just looking quite dismayed outside the bar, which sounds and looks sort of like the scene of a battle. Who's winning the war? It's too early to tell. Like there's smoke and flashes and and uh, crackling noises back there, and uh, uh, we are led to understand by a conversation he has with Dax that the bar has been totally overrun or occupied by Cardassian voles. This is a time where, depending on the sound effects you use, you can really change the feeling of a scene, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to make it too cartoonish. You don't want to make it sound like a vacuum and a thump. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to sound like they're screaming and and being vaporized like they right you don't want to ruin people's tv dinner yeah so i really think that they tried to to get the middle ground here sound wise but you can imagine there's a version of this that is terrifying i was trying to tell my wife about how the the new watchman show is good yeah and to my shock she agreed to watch an episode of it with me and uh, and and I had forgotten that that first episode features a scene where they attempt to storm a barn house and have to take cover behind the corpses of cows. Yeah, <laughs> which are getting machine gunned apart. And uh, my wife is sitting there, like you know, pushing her dinner away from her. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's an unfortunate steak night. It's like, oh, god damn it! That Come on, that show <laughs> like, this is great. But that is such an atypical, like, needle-pegging scene in that show. Yeah. That's not standard issue. I mean, it's crazy that that's in the first episode, given how how 
crazy that scene is. It's excessive in that way that that comedy can be, where something starts a little funny and then it gets less funny the more you do it, but then it gets more <laughs> funny when you right. do it for an excessive amount of time. Yeah. That seems like how sound design works too. Like if they were just filling up one cow full of artillery, <laughs> it would be gross and bad, but that they fill up 80 cows, yeah. it, it somehow circumnavigates gross into something better not for my wife (laughs) yeah what's the one thing that can cheer quark up at a moment like this adam we're getting married didn't this episode make you think a lot about mental health and your own personal (laughs) mental health because quark is depressed he says as much whether or not he is is another is is a conversation for another time but well there's there's like uh situational depression and clinical depression and I think he's depressed because he's been in the ball kicking machine for a long time. What many people don't realize about those who are experiencing depression is that other people's happiness does not generally have an effect. Wish it was dead. And, no. <laughs> and Ram and Lita are like, you are gonna love this. You're gonna feel so much better once you see how we have paired off and found love. Yeah. Uh Ram and Lita not exactly taking things slow. Now, <laughs> I don't think we've seen a single date go down, but uh, but now they are betrothed to one another, and uh, this does not this does not cause Quirk to jump for joy on his uh, psychoanalyst couch that he happens to have in his living room. Yeah, and so uh, Ram suggests that uh, because he's feeling crummy, he should go home. For an extended visit with Ma Duke. Because when a person's feeling bad, family is often the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly Quark's family does not prescribe to the three-night rule that you and I know and love because uh, he goes back to visit Moogie on Ferenginar open-endedly. He surprises her with the visit. She's not given any advance warning that he's coming. Yeah. And, uh... I think, this, is this the first time we've seen him wear a raincoat? Oh, yeah. Because Ferenginar is always rainy. Yeah. But Ferengi are always wearing, like, pretty elaborate clothing that doesn't seem super rain-friendly. So yeah. They, I, I liked that he was uh, bundled up in this. Not a lot of wicking fibers on the <laughs> Ferengi, it appears. No. So he, uh, he schleps into his childhood bedroom to drop his stuff and uh is is shocked to find that his mom has kind of uh has kind of redecorated turned it into more of a guest room than a uh than a shrine to her fully grown 40 year old son yeah there's like a nordic track and a and a home (laughs) office yeah yeah the uh the printer is on the floor because there isn't really an appropriate piece of furniture to put it on it's very very disappointing but also well within her rights to do it because he has been grown and out of the house for a long time and uh you know when you when you grow up you have to put away childish things yeah also uh he hasn't been a great family member to her yeah and he's uh putting stuff away he opens the closet sticks something in and he opens the door i can't believe it's a man mark what are you doing here? That is the hilarious reveal that uh, Grand Nagus Zek and uh, M- Mayor Do are, uh, are stashed in the closet. This 
really feels like a episode of a season that is really paying attention to its its budget because the closet <laughs> becomes a transporter room throughout the episode and yeah. you never see the effect people just appear in the closet they are not bothering with the effect if if this was season 1 of TNG and they were hiding the transporter effect every time people would go insane. Yeah, you don't even see a glow from behind the door. I, it makes me wonder what constraints that uh, Rene Aubergenois had to go through for this. This is uh, yet another episode directed by him. I think he directed eight, and this is his sixth. Yeah, the reveal is that uh, Zek is there because he and Moogie are in love. A love that began at a tango tournament that she gave him winning advice for. They really schmoopy each other. These two. Does anyone know about this? There's way more nose play than ear play with them. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the Zek earloaf is so so fucked out. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I, I wonder if it's like delicate because it's so bumpy and lumpy. If you're Zek, aren't you getting umox on the rag, like to the point where your shit is just totally numb? Maybe that's why he, he switched to the nose. He's got the kung fu grip problem, but for his ears. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at those things. They are pretty ragged. Sorry, baby, I just can't get there in your pussy because I've been fucking with my ears my whole life. Do you mind umoxing me off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, back on Deep Space Nine, uh, the B story is the, the Ram and Lita betrothal. And uh, this is a this is one of those deep B stories that wraps up like well ahead of the A story because the episode loses interest in it. But uh, the the basics of it are um, Rom is kind of converting to Bajoranism. He's taken to wearing the Bajoran earring. Rom is not your traditional Ferengi male. Uh, I guess not. And and Dax kind of as a as a. You know, as a an ally to the Ferengi people, uh, sort of n- no true Scotsman's him, where she uh, she's asking like how uh, Lita is going to conform to his uh, belief system as a Ferengi, and uh, you know this is this is stated very innocently as as Dax just asking questions, but leads to Rom uh, nearly ruining a good thing for himself. Can you remember another conversation between Ram and Dax? You're probably the least Ferengi-like Ferengi I've ever met. I think that Dax... The implication is that Dax has spent a lot of time with Quark and Ram because of all of her late-night tango hijinks. And has been a member of many cultures over her centuries of existence. So I bet, I bet that's like a natural conclusion for her to draw, like coming from a place of, of centuries of life experience than her yeah. experience knowing Ram in any way. It's, uh, it's amazing how she can seem super wise and super naive at the same time. You would expect her to be more condescending or Guinan-like in her, right. in her takes, but she's, yeah, she's never she's, written that way. She is not written like Guinan at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Ram is like, oh shit. <laughs> I better like go uh, go get like a prenup written up. Uh, I got to go see my family attorney because I you know I never even thought about the fact that Lita's not going to be nude and unemployed while uh, while we're married. Gold to cut. The cut. Gold to cut. So 
There's a thousand different episodes on television of, oh no, my mom is in love with my boss or something. But this right. doesn't feel like any of those. No. The relationship by itself doesn't really offend him. And only later in the episode do they even like speak to the kind of scandalousness of it because mm-hmm. she is to, you know, like she's the only example of a Ferengi woman we have on an ongoing basis on this show, but we're led to understand that she's extremely unconventional in many ways, you know, in a way that would probably be like politically inconvenient for Zach if it was public knowledge. Sure. But they have a great bond with each other and like that part of it doesn't really bother Quark. It's 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 not until the idea that uh, there might be a come up for him in breaking them up that he starts to really uh, reject what they've got. I mean, the way that the A and the B story are so alike in this episode is that they're about people in love with each other who are imperfect fits. Right. And where Ram and Lita are concerned, Ram needs to make a decision about how much of his culture to inject into his own marriage. O'Brien reviews what is tantamount to a Ferengi prenup and wisely tells him that there's no fucking way that Lita's going to sign something that onerous. Well, it's your life, but I think you're making a big mistake. It's not just a prenup. It's 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 referred to as a WPNP, the waiver of property and profit. Yeah. And it stipulates that at such time as the marriage ends, like anything that is hers is his and anything that's his is his. <laughs> like, it's a real fuck you. What's really interesting about this contract and its reason for existence and the reason that Rom wants to use it is his backstory with his first wife. And these two scenes are ones that I thought a lot about the order of because I wonder how different it would feel to go through that scene with O'Brien talking about that contract if before that scene you got the moment of Rom revealing that he's scared of making the same mistake with with Lita that he made with his first wife. And that really incites it. But instead, in the episode, it's you get to understand the contract first and then you follow it up with the reason that Rom has in encouraging Lita to sign it. Yeah, he's definitely not following the, following the Brene Brown TED Talk thing of be vulnerable with your loved ones yeah if he laid his cards on the table she would understand what was motivating this and maybe not just react to it like it's a thing he's doing to her yeah that'd be nice i i don't know what that's like though yeah she uh she throws this ipad right back in his face sign the wp and p never then the marriage is off you Bet it is. I think when you jump into marriage this quickly, it is very easy to call it off just as fast, right? Yeah, we uh, we learned that at uh, five minutes into the episode that marriage was on, and then mm-hmm. fourteen minutes into the episode that marriage was off. So right. hard to feel terrible about this, uh, but wanting Rom to get something this good seems like what they're what they're counting on for this to carry any weight for us. Right, dinner at Moogie's has Quark and Zek and her around the dinner table. And Quark is attempting to butter Zek up. He's got an angle, and the angle is if he can just butter him up, possibly, he may be in a position to reinstate his business license. Forget it, Quark. Right, and the 
quotient of shame that this connotes is a little unclear because the first words that pass between Quark and Zek in the beginning of the episode is are like like what the hell are you even doing on Ferenginar? You're you're not even welcome yeah. here. But now it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't really seem like Quark is so it's not, it's not like Worf's discommendation where he can't even show his face around other Ferengi. Like he can he could leave the house safely, right? Right. So yeah, but Zek's position is uh, is the the FCA were the ones that revoked your license, and it's it's really like a bureaucratic matter. I can't I can't be seen to you know engage in acts of nepotism like uh, getting my girlfriend's son his business license back. Yeah, and what's worse is that Moogie won't back him up, at least in public. This is when, uh, in frustration, he heads back to his room and the transporter closet reveals... Front. FCA. It's our second Jeffrey Combs episode in a row, Adam. Yeah. This time, not as Wei Yoon, but as Brunt. He's getting a lot of work, that Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, he's uh, nearly main cast, except for he's playing multiple characters. Yeah. And he is offering Quark a, a way back to having the business license. We've got to put an end to their relationship. You've got a deal. This is a scene that made me really recognize the lighting challenges that a Ferengi re- represents. And it's <laughs> Brunt's face, especially, that underscores this, because what he needs is an, is an underlight yeah, uh, he's his, got very deep-set eyes. His eyes are almost totally in the black, contrast-wise here, for a lot of this scene. And uh, it's clearly a challenge on, on some sets to make sure an actor's face is well-lit. Like, especially when he's in the closet super hard, because that, like all the doors are lower than Ferengi head height Yeah, for yeah. some reason. And, and so, like, you can't even get a light up above him right necessarily (laughs) yeah it's tough i mean you were talking before about how how ds9 as a set is unique for it's having a lid on it in all of its locations it's yeah it's uh it's unclear how this is working on these ferenginar sets and the challenges that those present i don't think that there are ceilings on these sets but one thing I thought a lot about in this episode is is how uncomfortable Meherdu's life is. Yeah, like he lives in these buildings. Yeah, <laughs> like most of these, most of the doors are like waist tall for him. Yeah, he's he's bent at the waist for most of the ep. That's not fun. Can you imagine how fucking uncomfortable that would be if every day you had to stoop over to get through doorways, constantly getting things off of the top shelf for people? Yeah. The next day is at the the Nagus's like audience chamber where he uh, you know sits there and has Frankie businessman kiss his ring all day and uh, and unloads some uh, some some bad stuff on the Nagus. It's kind of like Quark's version of psyops is just telling the Nagus things about his mother that would horrify Quark to learn about right. his mother. Yeah, and Quark has already learned most of this stuff, but the rumors are that. She has not, in fact, given back all of the money that she earned when she was illegally uh, obtaining profit, referring to a, an, an earlier episode with her, and that she has she has a, a scheme to use the the money that she hid from the FCA to fund a women's rights movement on Ferenginar. It's a horrifying thought. It's interesting how, like, as soon as... 
Quark becomes motivated in this way in exchanging his mother's happiness for his own. Like, all of that depression of the first quarter of the episode, it's not like he becomes happy. It's that neutrality and a mission gives him a reason for being, you know? Yeah. Like, he's not... I don't think he's relishing this at all, but but it's no. almost like in his neutral play on things like you you get a sense that he's that he's feeling better about himself because he's got this this possibility right i think that he'd be he'd be really like gleeful if there was also a payday involved here but instead he's just he's playing it pretty neutral like and and competent you know like this is not this is not one of those schemes that quark embarks on that doesn't go well like right when when he leaves the room zek is is you know in a tailspin emotionally yeah and uh and that's kind of the like what quark is playing at in the next scene right he's like waiting for his mom to come in and and uh when he hears her coming sort of gets into character as depressed depressed and and dejected quark yeah he's he's manipulating his mom's sense of of being a good mom for him. And uh, he's like, well, you wouldn't understand because I don't, I'm not allowed to earn profit in the Ferengi Alliance. She's like, get in fucking line. <laughs> I'm a woman on Ferenginar. Give me a break. But also still loves him. Yeah. Moogie agrees to talk to Zek on Quark's behalf about reinstating his business license. And I thought that was interesting that he's on the chance that the FC, what he's being promised by the FCA doesn't work out. He is still pushing her right like he doesn't have to go back and and pursue this scheme with her does he but it's it's like one last stone unturned like right if he tries every available option he's got to turn over the moogie stone yeah we get a little scene on the promenade uh odo and Worf are arguing about what to do with martok because martok threw someone from the second floor of the promenade and is now locked up in odo's holding cell and Worf would like him to be released, and Cisco agrees that he should be released, but also Martok needs to understand that he is not he's not living on a on a, a Klingon station where you can engage in martial disciplinary action like throwing a guy from the second floor of the promenade and uh, and not go unpunished. Not to play Martok's advocate on this. But he has no depth perception. Is it possible that that he like wanted to just throw him against the rail and instead <laughs> threw him over the side? I think so. He should take this to court. This episode yeah. should pivot to Deep Space Nine court, and the last twenty minutes is in defense of Martok. I wish they had fleshed that out a little bit more because every time every time I've had a conversation with an attorney where I was fired up about something and I was like, let's, let's have our day in court. You know, like, I think we can, I think we can really stick it to them or whatever. The attorney is like, don't be an idiot. Like going to court is the last thing you want. It's expensive. Like, you know, big companies beat each other up in court over civil shit all the time, but like private citizens can't afford that type of shit. So what would it be? Would Martok have to hire his own attorney and pay for it somehow? Do the Klingons have money? Or are the Klingons also a post-scarcity, moneyless society like the Federation? 
we've seen Klingon lawyers before, Ben. I know. What the fuck? What would it look like? You bring up such an interesting point about lawyers, and that is, like, I've got a few lawyers in my life as friends, and the one I've been friends with the longest has been a lawyer for maybe 15 years. He's Uh been to trial maybe, like, three times. (laughs) Why don't lawyers want to go to trial? It's what they were Uh, trained to do. I mean, a lot of lawyers are not trial oriented like my wife for example uh has has had phases of her career where she was in court all the time but she is currently primarily a policy and contracts lawyer so i am not i'm not disparaging your wife's great work in any way when i say this isn't the attraction to becoming a lawyer the trial isn't that like the inciting incident for going to law school it feels like that's such a a concentrated form of justice. Yeah, but but here's the thing: it's so expensive that it's not actually the best way to resolve yeah. differences that that have a legal component. A conference room is more efficient. Like it's it's such a weird job. Like when when I was mostly a, a freelance filmmaker, like there was a ton of incentive to like upsell my clients on things. Like okay, we could do this video, but. What I really think you should do is this video and then two shorter videos that mm-hmm. you can share on social media. And I can do that for only this much extra, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, when my wife was working for a litigation firm and, like, a case that she was working on settled, like, that was a that was a celebration in her office. And I was always like, but don't you get, like, way more billable hours if it goes to trial? Like, isn't it better to go to trial from your standpoint? And... Uh, like, 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 I understand that you're like happy on your client's behalf, but, but why are you celebrating? And I, like, I can't explain it. They just, you know, it's a weird thing about lawyers. I don't get it. Yeah, I guess the, the end of any trial is a cause for celebration. It's like the ethical oath that they take means something to them. Huh. I mean, going into freelance filmmaking, there's no, uh, Hippocratic <laughs> There's no swearing in ceremony. There's no ethics in podcasting either, so I think we found a career that's right for us. What are you doing now? Cisco has Martok released and then arounds a corner to hear the crying. They can only come from a ROM. Yeah, ROM is cry working. <laughs> you never want to cry at work. No. Yeah, you wanna you wanna take that into the bathroom stall where it belongs. Or in the car. Cry in the car. Yeah. You'd like you'd like a workplace that has enough bathroom stalls that you can you can go cry and nobody knows who's in there crying. Yeah, doors to the floor. That's how you know you've got a good crying stall. Yeah, like European-style latrine would be great. (laughs) A European-style crying latrine. (laughs) We don't normally do remodels in office spaces, (laughs) but on the 43rd floor of the Transamerica Tower, we're installing a new bathroom setup here. The client's chosen to go with a a floor-to-ceiling door environment for their bathroom stalls. That way, anonymous crying is allowed for all of their 40 employees. It's really the classic plumber's lament. Yeah, you want a high-flow toilet 
in a crying stall. Yeah. Well, you, I want to flush those tears down. A lot of uh, ladies' rooms in Japan have just, like, constant water flow noise playing in them. I like that. To mitigate embarrassment. That's why when I go to the bathroom in Japan, I always choose the ladies' room. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should uh, we should experiment with having just loud water noises on this program all the time to mitigate our embarrassment. You know what? Uh, I'm going to call a shot here. Friend of the program, Ann Kilzer, uh, send us another postcard and tell us about the bathrooms in Japan. Yeah, what's up with those bathrooms? Yeah. Is that? I mean, I've only I've only heard secondhand about this water flow noise. Maybe I'm talking about talking out of my butt. Yeah, but it takes a lot less than 15 flushes to, <laughs> to get the stuff down over there. They know what they're doing. Well, we're living really high on the hog in this country, you know. Uh-huh. This is a bang, bang, bang of crying scenes, Adam, because uh, we see Rom crying about how sad he is that the marriage is off. And then the camera floats up to a brief little scene with Kira and Lita and... Lita sort of trying to talk herself into this being the right choice and uh, and Kira rejecting every argument that she makes to that end and then Lita breaking down crying. Does Nana Visitor break here? I am almost positive she does. I, I, th- I think it is Kira's character thinking it's cute that Lita is this broken up about this obviously fleeting argument. I love that moment lasts for maybe a half a second. But yeah. I love... I love that, like, her whole body feels the absurdity of that. Yeah, she's, uh, that is a, that is the moment of the episode, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, and then we're on Ferenginar, and Ishka is crying. Yeah, triple crying. Uh, Quirk, uh, comes in. Mom is very upset because Zach has left her and, uh, and, you know, left her on a very insulting note. He, he called her a profit-hungry female. I mean, he also accused her of trying to overthrow the government, which is an angle that Moogie was not <laughs> expecting in the breakup, right? How'd you find out about that? <laughs> Do you look at my texts? <laughs> kind of blindsided. Do you think you can see your ears if you're wearing Ferengi prosthetic, like out of your peripheral vision? Speaking of blindsided, Ooh. I bet you can. Yeah. Like, hold your fingers up to the side of your head, like where Ferengi, like even touching where your headphones are. I'm wearing headphones that I can see out of the side of my eyes. Yeah, so you totally can. That means means you can't see stuff coming up behind you if you're a Ferengi. That's That's the way to get at them. That's how you know the Ferengi are predators and not prey. Maybe that's why they use those whips, because they're like, they're like circling them over their heads. So if you get close, you might just get caught by that thing. Yeah. Like that headcanon. Hey, is that Ferengi whip called a headcanon? <laughs> I believe it is. Mm. Uh, no sooner has she left the room than he blows in a FaceTime to Brunt. You're smiling, Quark. Therefore, I assume your mother is not. And uh, gets his license reinstated. And then uh, he uh, he goes in to try and cheer his mom up and... She's gone from the uh, from the crying phase to the pissed off phase, and uh, is in the process of sort of inviting him to leave, and him accepting that invitation when the when the Nagus calls. The Nagus has a job offer for Quark, and that is to be his first clerk. It's a job of some pedigree. Yeah, Quark is made to see that like his bar job doesn't have the shine of first clerk, and so he accepts. 
this is kind of a chief of staff kind of position where he's uh he's he's there to help the Negus run the society and uh this uh you know this starts you know first day of work for Cork is uh in that same audience chamber and uh they hash out an agreement about what Cork's role is going to be and then he's uh like handed the iPhone of power and uh and uh, does and and the Nagus cannot remember his passcode. All of the things that are happening between Quark and the Nagus are things that uh, you could conceive of as happening between he and Moogie, right? Like the, uh, why doesn't my internet work? Like, <laughs> well, what's your password? I don't know. <laughs> like, like it's very old v young conflicts happening, and it's and it's yeah. super clear that that Zek is slipping. It's really scary to imagine the idea that the leader of a society could be, uh, you know, mentally compromised in some way like this right. and still have their hand on the levers of power. Yeah, you just hope that there's some sort of check and or balance in play right. here. Yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> uh, they they finally get into the phone because uh, Mayor Du knows the password also, but probably won't be that good of a advisor on account of he never says anything yeah and zach has just really lost the plot he like cannot keep track of a thread of conversation for longer than two or three back and forths before he can't remember what they're talking about or why it's why it's what they're talking about i mean look at him he's too old he's too old for office ben there should really be a limit an age limit. Yeah. If you want, if you want to ascend to the highest reaches of Ferenginar, right? Like you have to be at least thirty-five and no older than I don't know, seventy. What's wrong with that? That's a that's a big window. Yeah, plenty of qualified people in that window. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn. Back on the station, Rom is sitting on the floor, and he's got he's got his entire fortune on the table in front of him. He's like a little kid with all of his uh, matchbox cars, like all all lined up in neat rows. I thought you were going to say he's like a little kid selling chocolate bars so that his team could go to state. <laughs> is that is that something you're familiar with? Did you have to do the door to door chocolate bar game? Yeah, we did that when I was in uh, when I was in school. Yeah. Even though it was yeah. milk chocolate, you managed to, to hold your nose and sell it? I did. Um, it was the first 40 to 50 seconds of your doorway pitch just apologizing for the idea that you're selling milk chocolate bars and not dark? Hey, listen. I know that milk chocolate is trash. It's too sweet. It's too waxy. And it uh, doesn't really have much appeal to anybody. But how about this as a pitch? It's good for kids. If, if if you buy this chocolate bar, I won't eat it, and also my team will get to go to state. Young man, I've never seen you before in my life, and I'm not sure you live in my neighborhood. Also, <laughs> it's my family's dinner time. I'd like to ask you to leave. Yeah, that uh, that plays right into all of my uh, <laughs> all of my premature liberal guilt. So, yeah. I apologize, sir. <laughs> Adam, what's a more romantic place to get back together with somebody than the Jumja stick selling job that they just apparently got? Is 
Lita working a second job now that the bar is closed, or is this her her backup plan? I don't know. Quarks is closed. She's selling the jump jazz stick. Does the does the Bajoran provisional government have some sort of works project administration where they can place you in other menial jobs while your remunerative employment is out of commission? We could use a little more detail here. <laughs> I just wanted one line of, of expository dialogue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not besmirching the long line of Jumja salespeople that we've seen. It's honorable work to sell Jumja sticks because people are always getting their relationships back on track when they get one. That's true. And there's always money in the Jumja stand. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice job. <laughs> Cheers to you, Ben. I don't even really like that show. <laughs> she is a friendly face. She's selling a shitload of jum jaw. It's only made 25 grand last month. They're not going to fucking believe you. Fuck them. Fuck them. And uh, Rom appears. Like, here's what you don't want to do. If you're in limbo with someone or if things aren't mm-hmm. good. I don't think you surprise them at their workplace. No. <laughs> but Rom does it because uh, Rom doesn't have any concept of social graces at all. He tells her... I gave all my latinum to Major Kira for the Bajoran War Orphans Fund. Like, this is the loophole that he has. He doesn't have to split anything with her if he doesn't have anything at all to split. I think that that I have two problems with this. One, Rom's fortune or lack thereof is such a squishy concept on this show. Like, sometimes... He's a fucking idiot who has not, who doesn't have a nickel to his name that Quirk can make fun of. Other times, he's got great big piles of latinum that he can give away and in a grand romantic gesture. Two, just keep the money for like a down payment or something. Like, like you don't have to give it away for it to be okay for the two of you to get married without the MPNP or the WPP. MNP? WPNP? WP and P. Yeah, WP and P. Banana bread beer. I agree with you. This is a part of life and culture on the station we need to know more about because it seemed as though as soon as Rom took a Starfleet job that the need to acquire that latinum was going to be a thing of the past. The acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives. But we see Starfleets in Quarks all the time spending Latinum. Where do they right. get it if they're not being paid by Starfleet? Yeah. I, I just wish this was described a little bit at some point in some episode. Because, like, I love the idea that Starfleet is so rich that, like, like, like post-scarcity, like, extends past its borders somewhat. Where, like, you can have... Like, everyone's getting a UBI on Deep Space Nine? Yeah. Like, there's, like, a... There's like a like Deep Space Nine is on like the Bajoran economy and so everybody in Starfleet is just given like a credit card that has no no limit and Starfleet will honor all debts that they incur because it like doesn't matter at all no I mean I've got to I've got to argue against you on that I think it has to have a limit because if here, here's the thing I love the idea of the universe being so vast that you must integrate yourself in the financial culture of other worlds and races like i think that's cool but i don't think you can give a blank check to starfleets working in in those areas otherwise they would just take over right 
they'd have the biggest house on the Bajoran cul-de-sac, and all of a sudden you've you've kind of spoiled the culture by financially being its leaders. Like I think, Shit, dog. like like, wouldn't you need a Bajoran credit card with a a nominal limit, like a, yeah. a middle middle income you get limit? A, what you need is a Bajoran a Bajoran per diem. And who do I give it to? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's with a Bajoran per diem, you limit the amount, but it's a, it's generous enough that you don't feel constrained on a day to day basis. Right, and it's the same way if you're if you're working near Vulcan or if you're working near any other of these worlds. Like it's just different. It's a different limit. It's a different currency, but yeah. but the but the philosophy is the same. Like no better, no worse. Just just enough to exist. You want to you want to integrate into the culture, but you also want to you know keep a sense of the you know lifestyle that you're used to. If it's a poop in a hole culture, you might want enough in your per diem to afford a hotel that has the kind of toilet you're used to. Poop in a hole culture, huh, Ben? That's what I think the Ferengi are probably working with. <laughs> we have not seen a Ferengi bathroom, and we do not know if the doors go all the way to the floor. Yeah, what, where do the Ferengi go when they need to cry? I bet, I bet you just go outside because nobody would be able to tell. <laughs> you let the you let the rain run down your face. It doesn't look like anything. Yeah, it's a that's a private cry you could have right there. Latinum rain, Latinum rain. <laughs> uh, so Ram and Leader are back together, and Quark comes home to his moogie, stress the fuck out. She's been watching the uh, like the CNBC all day and knows that the the markets are down all over Ferenginar. And uh, what what Cork doesn't realize is that she has been sort of uh, guy behind the guying Zach for a long time. She's she's the reason the Ferengi economy was doing okay at all. She's not only wise in the way that props up the entire Ferengi economy. She also figures out that. He's the one, along with Brunt, that sabotaged her relationship with Zach. And she's pissed. Cork yeah. is her son, so she loves him, but also she is sick of his bullshit, basically. Moogie is smarter and better and wiser and kinder than any other Ferengi that we know. It's really amazing when you meet a parent that's so much better than their kids. Yeah. You wonder what that's about. <laughs> yeah. And yet... It seems like at the end of every episode Moogie's in, like she's made to make the ultimate sacrifice for the comfort of other people. Yeah. That's not right. Yeah. That's some retrograde bullshit, Adam. But there's some real danger here for Ferenginar because the market needs to be stabilized. This has the consequence of destroying millions of people's lives if it gets out that Zek is unfit for leadership. Right. When really, like, the removal of someone so unfit is probably better for everyone in the long run. Right. Like, he may be, from Moogie's standpoint, a useful idiot, but what should be done post-haste is some sort of uh, removal process. Yeah. That's where I sort of turn on her and Quark in this episode, because uh, Brunt comes in uh, to Quark's place of work the next day, as he's desperately trying to first clerk this economic crash into submission. And Brent is gloating. Why are you picking on me? I've done everything you asked, haven't I? And it doesn't really make sense that Brent would be gloating initially, because what would be in it for Brent for uh, things to be going badly for Quark? And then 
he reveals his grand plan. Quark has been upon the entire time uh, for Brunt to Game of Thrones his way into the negacy. Yeah, Brunt's happy in the way that many bad guys are before their evil plan comes to fruition. But Brunt knows the history of Ferenginar and knows that Zek's predecessor was assassinated along with his clerk. And he knows that that's a very real threat for, for Zek and Quark here. Yeah, it's this is a, a classic villain monologue, telling telling the plan before the plan has fully been realized. I couldn't have done it without you. I feel almost grateful. With Zek out of the way, it actually clears the path for Brunt to become the new Nagus. He even tries the throne on for size. Yeah. He looks good in that throne. I feel like this is a show where... Like, that could be the end of the episode, too. Yeah. Like, like if Nurse Ratchet can become the the Kai, it, then why can't Brunt become the Nagus? Yeah. So Quark confides all of this to Moogie and the second thoughts that he has about it. His conscience won't allow this to happen. This is an observation that Moogie has about her son. They both talk about the idea that there's two types of greed. There's Zek's type of greed, which is good for people in general, like broad, <laughs> the broad type of greed. And then there's Brunt's type of greed, which is only good for himself. And when put that simplistically, uh, the choice becomes fairly clear about which one of the two is a danger to the most people. It's a, do you want Gordon Gecko or do you want Charlie Sheen? Yeah. And, uh, and so this is a bit of a, uh, a smash cut to victory party, right? The, uh, the like the the conversation that Quark has with his mom cuts to Grand Negus Zek, Mayor Du, and Quark walking out of whatever meeting they had with the board of the FCA, and Zek was able to answer all their questions to their satisfaction. He's uh, maintained his status as Negus, and uh, I guess the FCA is some sort of check on his power. Uh, unclear. <laughs> To, to what extent that is true. And then uh, Quark ushers in the uh, the person that helped him uh, formulate all the advice he gave Zek, because Zek really credits Quark with this advice having been the way he preserved his political power. And uh, this person comes in in, a, in a, a hood and very unsurprisingly reveals herself to be Ishka. All the advice I gave you today came from her. Quark also admits to lying to Zek about the rumors about her. Those rumors about her wanting to overthrow the government turns out were unfounded, or at least founded by Quark, falsely. You know, like Quark still has this first clerk gig, but makes the argument that the advice that he's able to offer is not terribly valuable compared to what uh, she is able to offer. And she says, like, listen... I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I do think women should have equal rights, and I'm never going to back off of that opinion. But if you'll have me back, I would like to be your special lady friend, and I can also help you uh, continue the project of running Ferengi Society. It's a weird anti-resolution here, right? Because all of the game pieces are put more or less back into their original places at the beginning yeah. of the episode, including the Brunt piece. Right. Who, during the button on the episode, like, Quark packs for home, 
things have been resolved. He and his mom appear to be okay. They have a cute moment uh, having to do with Quark's action figures. But when Brunt beams into Quark's beaming closet, he makes it clear that he is still going to be a concern. He's going to be looking out at Quark in a way that, that he wants to entrap him once again. Yeah. And one assumes that he's going to be doing that very same thing to Zek, right? Brent stays the the villain of Ferengi society and, and the villain in Quark's life and is perfectly happy to do that. Like, his, his scheme failed, but it didn't cost him a thing. No, nothing really changed at the end. We're back to one. We're back to one, and that's that's a very TV ending. Yeah. It's like a one that we didn't know was one, though. Right. I guess... Quark has his business license back, right? Does does Quark get to take those uh, those signs down in his in his bar? I think so. I think that's the deal. We'll have to watch for that. Did you like the episode? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Uh, I did. <laughs> I don't know why I liked it, but I I kind of liked it. I mean, it was it was a nice light episode. How about you? Any episode having to do with Ferengi like just looks like it should be dumb and it's and it's not <laughs> trying to say anything sophisticated but i think this episode says something sneakily sophisticated about how preventable it is for there to be conflicts between you know like family members and lovers that have to do with cultural stubbornness because right. remember Rom's stubbornness about his culture was not coming from himself like it was suggested by Dax and then it just sort of spun him out of control into this sort of into the kind of cultural stubbornness that broke up him and Lita and the thing with Zek and Moogie is the same way like Zek clearly doesn't prescribe to the sort of cultural stubbornness that would prevent having a relationship with Moogie it's only when when outside powers come in and interfere with that that he's made to break up with her. Like, I really think he was okay with everything about Moogie up until other people knew about it. And it, and that, I feel like, is a quality that people are aware of right now. Like, people our age getting into relationships with people of other cultures where, uh, where the parents of those kids are hardline into whatever religion or culture that they belong to in a way that the kids don't. Yeah. And it's... And it's only through that injection of someone else's opinion that a conflict can take hold. And that's what this episode made me think about, is like how often you're not really in conflict with the person you're with. You're, you're arguing with them because of some outside force. It's unnecessary. Right. Yeah, yeah. I had a good buddy whose uh, wedding was only complicated because his wife's grandma really wanted some very traditional Jewish elements to be part of their wedding that they didn't like neither of them wanted it yeah. and she super did and they like the the compromise was just to have those things happen on like like the day before yeah basically just for her benefit in yeah. a in a private smaller ceremony and you know like they their culture other other than that was is basically not different at all so <laughs> right 
like, like like these things happen even when the when the when the differences are are really minor. I mean, this episode doesn't exist if all parties sort of hold fast, right, and are grounded in the confidence of their decisions and their feelings. And I think it yeah. is when characters don't feel those things, and moreover, when people don't feel those things, that you leave yourself open to these unnecessary entanglements. Yeah, indeed. Well, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the inbox, Adam? It's one entanglement we get into every episode. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. Hey! And it's from our friends at the Seventh Rule Podcast. Whoa! Uh, this is the podcast that was created by Sirach Lofton and Aaron Eisenberg and Ryan T. Husk that is still going strong. Here's the message. Uh, attention Greatest Gen viewers, Jake and Nog created a new Star Trek podcast with sci-fi producer Ryan T. Husk called The Seventh Rule with entertaining behind-the-scenes insights while reviewing DS9. After the tragic passing of our brother Aaron, we are continuing the show in his honor. Please subscribe to the Seventh Rule YouTube channel today and catch new episodes weekly. We have a ton of cool Trek stars on the show. And also check out our Patreon page. Thanks! And that message is from Sirach Lofton and Ryan T. Husk. Wow. This is a... A little peek behind the pod is that uh, we had been in some preliminary discussions with that show about doing some guesting between us, and it was right before Aaron Eisenberg's death. And uh, yeah, it was really crazy timing on that. Yeah, um, I'm really happy to know that the show continues. Uh, yeah. Without Aaron, I can't imagine how difficult that's got to be, but. I'm confident in Ryan and Sirach's ability to do that and to carry that on in his spirit. Yeah, so uh, give the seventh rule a go on YouTube and Patreon. No other Star Trek podcasts may purchase advertising space on our show. I'm going to make that rule right Whoa. now. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what about go trek yourself? Uh, go trek yourself can do that. I- what about Mamory Alpha? What about women at warp? All right, noted. With a couple of exceptions. Okay, okay. That's what I'll say. Uh, <laughs> you really you really want to advertise for our competition? I think that a rising tide raises all starships, Adam. Mm. You can listen to those other shows at 1.5x, but you have to listen to ours at, one, one, at, uh, at 1.0. That's right. Well, uh, check out The Seventh Rule over on YouTube and Patreon. Adam, we have a second Priority One message. It is from Danielle, and it is to Riley. It goes like this. Dear Riley, happy 35th birthday to you, my magical winter solstice babe. Even if you were covered in loaf, I would still think you're a total cutie. I love you, your incredible mind, and the fact that you introduced me to the Star Trek universe. You're the captain of my heart. Don't change a thing. Love, Danielle. Well, you know you're a cutie when it shines through the loaf. That's what I'll say. 
Yeah. I'm not sure if my cute w- is loaf proof. I think I think you would be cute in loaf, Adam. I don't know. I don't think I, think I have the face for loaf. I think you'd uh, I think you'd be a nice high carb snack. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, uh, sounds like Riley and Danielle are are celebrating a great year to come. If you have a message that you would like transmitted to our myriad viewers. You can take it over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where commercial messages are $200 and personal messages are $100, both of which are a great way to support our program well into the new year. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, Cisco is barely in this episode, but he's my drunk Shimoda because of his interaction with Rom, who's crying at work. <laughs> we are made to believe that Cisco is one of the great Star Trek leaders and captains. He's many people's favorite, uh, but he shows zero empathy for what's going on with Rom, and <laughs> and in fact tells him to carry on. After seeing that he's crying at work. That is a very Picard reaction to that phenomenon. It really is. And it it's so Picard that it made me wonder how much thought was put into that moment. I know that it's a slide whistle. Like, it's played for laughs. And it is funny. Yeah. But it's cruel also. Yeah, it's weird that the... That the scene where Ram and Lita are their saddest is the silliest moment in this episode. A bunch of about a bunch of money hungry trolls running around. These people aren't their friends. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from this episode. Well, what have the Ferengi done to earn friendship, Adam? That's fair. That's what I would ask you. I think Lita deserves to be happy. Yeah. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Rom, and it's for the whole uh, wafer of profit and property mm-hmm. gambit. And I think that this is this is maybe like the thing that we've criticized mo- most about this character is that he's kind of written as a punchline. And one thing that you are are taught in an improv class is like like whatever character you wind up playing in your scene can't be dumb like the joke about your character being that your character is super dumb is tempting when you're starting out in improv because it's like oh what if this guy was really dumb that would be funny right (laughs) and the reason you're discouraged by an instructor from playing a character that way is that if you do that every single time it's never going to be funny yeah and rom is a dumb but I think the the reason that it doesn't work for me is that, like, they've started to try and write him out of that. Like, oh, he's actually a brilliant engineer. He's actually, like, got a lot of heart. But if that's true, like, he can't keep doing super-duper dumb shit. Like... <laughs> I, yeah, like, but Ram is a dumb, but dumbs deserve love, too. Right. But I, but I also don't think he's this dumb. I don't think he's dumb enough to get, be given the slightest of pushes by Dax and suddenly be like, oh shit, I gotta I gotta really stick it to my future wife because that's my culture. Yeah, like, but I think we I think we both know people who are work smart and social dumb. Like I think these are just 
aspects I'm of one of I'm one of those people. I know. I, like, Why don't you I recognize don't think... this? Because <laughs> you're social dumb. I think that this is past social dumb. Like, if if they wanted to have an, uh, an episode about Ferengi prenups, I think that, that that is an interesting and fun thing to tell a story about. But the the story that they wind up telling is just boy rom's real dumb right you know what up until now rom's entire story has been about the rejection of his culture and and the replacement of it with something he sees as better something that enriches his life more right for him to be pushed over with dax's feather back into subscribing to to this way of thinking i think it's it's not character honest for him and it would have been far more interesting if this was a b story that was about rom's rejection of that again like this is a thing that ferengi do this is a this is an experience i had with an ex-wife that was bad and this is why i'm not doing it in spite of the many cultural pressures that he feels and instead it's it's the exact opposite of that you can still have conflict it's just a different conflict what if it had been a story about his Moogie feeling really strongly about him getting one of these prenups and him disagreeing with her? Yeah, like how fucking weird is Moogie if she is so progressive in this way that she is with Zek and still super conservative in the marriage aspect with Rom? I think that would have been an interesting story to tell. Yeah. I, think, I think there's a, a bunch of interesting directions you can take this, but I thought a lot in this episode about how Quark has all these instincts toward progressivism that he's like constantly at war with in himself. Like they're, they're always showing him like doing a nice thing for a character as a, as a counterpoint to what a scumbag he is most of the time. Right. And that's not Rom. And telling this story about Rom felt a little bit like an, like a bad fit, you know, he's too suggestible. I thought I knew who Rom was before this episode, and now I don't. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized 
to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, you know, another thing that has consequences, Adam, is the game of buttholes. The will of the prophets. That's right. Uh, it's how we decide how our next episode will be consumed. Uh, and our next episode is season five, episode 21, Soldiers of the Empire. On a mission for the Klingon Empire, Worf realizes that his friend General Martok is no longer fit to lead. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to pass the, the warrior's physical <laughs> with an eye like that. Yeah. Well, uh, we are currently on square 18, that corks bar that we slipped down to via the uh, space butthole. Uh, just ahead, we have another space butthole on square 21 that could get us stuck with a a Darmok episode. Mm. Everyone loved the first time we did that. <laughs> Was that one of the controversial ones? Oh, yeah. People hated that up. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. People don't like it when we break format. Fuck them. <laughs> this is our game. I'm this not, is our podcast. I'm not going to go that far as to saying fuck them. I like a format that I've grown accustomed to, too, as a, as a viewer of a podcast. So I get it. But also, it's fun every once in a while to do something different. I think that's the point of the game of buttholes. Sometimes it's painful. Hmm. To, to, to roll a bad to roll a bad bone yeah well why don't you <laughs> um, roll that bone figure it out okay 
You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I think we could also potentially hit a banger, so, uh, uh, depends on what I roll here, but, uh, here I go. And I have rolled a one, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. So we are on square 19. Alright. It's almost like I was ghostly rolling for you. Yeah. It's a regular episode next week, but, uh, peek behind the pod, probably gonna be a bit of a drunk episode as well, because we're gonna record it really soon after we stop recording this one. That's right. That's how we like it, though. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to thank all of the friends of DeSoto who uh, contribute on a monthly basis to the production of this program. You guys are the best. Yeah, it's the end of the year. I think a lot of people at the end of the year uh, are thinking about the things that they've supported the year behind and what else they might be interested in supporting in the year ahead. And uh, we would ask that if you enjoy what we do on The Greatest Generation, you support it over at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Just yesterday, as of this recording, uh, I went over to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and dropped off the uh, 60-something Lego kits that you and I bought to donate to their, uh, to their playroom there uh, for the kids uh, who are stuck in the hospital. You didn't tell and me that. that. That's great. Yeah, that's something that... Um, we were only able to do because of the incredibly generous support uh, of the Friends of DeSoto. So uh, we're uh, trying to take this goodwill and spread it around as much as we can. And, uh, and they like the the people uh, at the at the drop off. Like I, I scheduled my my drop off, and I, I went and when I was pulling the boxes and boxes of Legos out of the back of my car. They were like, wow, holy crap, I hope, uh, I hope you guys make a regular thing of this. This was really great. They were, uh, they were really thrilled. So, wow. Um, I just wanted to say thanks to the Friends of DeSoto for supporting us and enabling us to do a thing like that. Wow, that's pretty excellent. Uh, and we should also uh, thank Adam Ragusia, who makes music for our program. Uh, he, of course, based his music off of that of Dark Materia. Uh, who made the original Picard song. Adam Ragusia quitting his job as a college professor to go full-time YouTube cook. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty great. Uh, search for Adam Ragusia on YouTube and uh, your, your, your dinner tomorrow night taken care of. When you're Adam Ragusia, you season the two-week notice <laughs> and, and not the mailbox you put it in. Yeah, you, you pour white wine into almost every resignation letter <laughs> you leave on your boss's desk uh, to understand what we're talking about you gotta go over to Adam Ragusi's YouTube channel it's great we gotta thank our buddy Bill Tilly who makes trading cards about just about every episode of the show I think every single episode right every single one I don't think he's missed one and it would be no. fine if he did if anyone yeah. deserves a break it's Bill Tilly but uh, he ain't taking them yeah. He's on Twitter at BillTilly1973, and he uses the hashtag GreatestGen when he posts his posts. Uh, there are also lots of social media groups on Discord and Reddit and Facebook. All these evil companies have a group of friends of DeSoto operating inside them. That's right. Uh, they're, they're groups waiting to spring into action and overthrow them. <laughs> yeah. With that, we'll be back at you next time. 
with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that is considering going sleeveless. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.